Episode 41 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 7.4, The Dual Dissension and the Loss of Zarahemla. One of the most powerful misperceptions about the story of the Book of Mormon is that the Lamanites were the bad guys and the major bane to the Nephites. It is true that the Lamanites are often used as the foil for the Nephites and as a form of scourge or large-scale national gadfly to sting and motivate the Nephites into greater obedience. But I think that Mormon goes to great lengths to express that the greatest danger to the Nephites was the problem from within, the issue of disunity versus unity. While many dissenters go from the Nephites to the Lamanites, the greatest example of disunity in this story is the fragmentation of the Nephite state into subgroups of robbers, who then fight against their own people in an attempt to seduce them away in a sort of Star Wars-like coaxing to the dark side of the Force. In this episode, we will dive into the topic of disunity once again, as it was central to the problem of the Nephites. The Nephites had unified following the defeat and expulsion of the Lamanite armies led by Coriantumr in the 41st year of the reign of the Judges. As the people unified, they also selected a prophet, Helaman III, to be the chief judge and governor. The role and importance of the robbers increased throughout this period, and that role will be discussed in detail in the next episode. In this episode, I want to dwell on the eight-year civil war that led to the greatest single war loss of Nephi-controlled territory in the entire Book of Mormon. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Gadianton robbers strike again. Almost. In episode 39, or part 7.2 of this podcast series, I talked about the counterintelligence demonstrated by Helaman III and his servant in finding out about the assassination attempt against Helaman III, preventing the assassination and killing the assassin who was Kishkumen. This is covered in Helaman chapter 2. At the end of that chapter, Mormon gives us the great expression of the importance of the role of the robbers of Gadianton when he says in Helaman 2 verses 13 and 14, quote, and behold, in the end of this book, ye shall see that this Gadianton did prove the overthrow, yea, almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi. Behold, I do not mean the end of the book of Helaman, but I mean the end of the book of Nephi, from which I have taken all the account which I have written. Close quote. As an aside, I believe that what Mormon means when he talks about the book of Nephi is the record that takes us to the end of the Book of Fourth Nephi as we currently have it constructed in the Book of Mormon. This is a quote that I have shared before in part, but it is important to appreciate the profound and internally derived disunity that the Gadianton robbers represent is the primary enemy to the people of Nephi and to ourselves. The enemy from without may destroy lives and cities, but the enemy within is what destroys all. Mormon did not write a lot of specifics about war and conflict in this period as he quickly moved from one year to the next while including only hints on what was going on. I want to use Mormon's words to get a sense of how he does this. 
I quote from Helaman chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And now it came to pass, in the forty and third year of the reign of the judges, that there was no contention among the people of Nephi, save it were a little pride which was in the church, which did cause some little dissensions among the people, which affairs were settled in the ending of the forty and third year. And there was no contention among the people in the forty and fourth year, neither was there much contention in the forty and fifth year. And it came to pass in the forty and sixth, yea, there was much contention and many dissensions, in the which there were an exceedingly great many who departed out of the land of Zarahemla and went forth unto the land northward to inherit the land. Close quote. This podcast isn't about interpreting political or sociopolitical events, other than those that deal directly with war. But this is a fascinating set of hints and discussions that are worth greater discussion and reflection. What are the differences between the little dissensions in verse 1 as compared to the neither was there much contention mentioned in verse 2? Is this the difference between political difference as opposed to social unrest? Mormon hinted at unity following the Tubaloth War in verse 2, but then something created much contention, and this contention resulted in the separation of a large group who were to travel northward and inhabit the land there. We are told in Helaman 3.12 that this migration of people included Lamanites who were of the people of Ammon. I have given you all the details we have on the contentions, yet later Mormon says that there were great contentions and disturbances and wars and dissensions among the people of Nephi in Helaman 3.17. I interpret the use of wars in verse 17 as a period of civil wars among the Nephites. By that I mean internal fighting. Based on the limited information and the almost casual way it is referenced, the use of the word wars in this context leads to a less significant definition of the word, causing me to think that this was probably not a titanic struggle like the American Civil War from 1861 to 1865, but probably consisted of numerous small engagements and fights between factionalized groups of people. This is further supported by the length of time for this period of contention. It began in about the 46th year of the reign of the judges and continued until the end of the 48th year of the reign of the judges, or possibly extending a bit into the beginning of the 49th year of the reign of the judges. As we are told in Helaman chapter 3, verses 22 to 23, quote, And it came to pass that the wars and contentions began to cease, in a small degree among the people of the Nephites in the latter end of the 48th year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. And it came to pass in the 49th year of the reign of the judges, there was continual peace established in the land, all save it were the secret combinations which Gadianton the robber had established in the more settled parts of the land, which at that time were not known unto those who were at the head of government. Therefore, they were not destroyed out of the land. Close quote. The significant turmoil that followed this quoted material must be viewed in light of this Nephite civil war. The civil connections and internal structure of the society were tenuous and weak, though maybe that was always true, and Mormon did not emphasize it. This was the ninth 
referenced dissension from the Nephites. In the 53rd year of the reign of the judges, Helaman III died, and the judgment seat passed to Nephi IV, as we are told in Helaman three thirty-seven. The issues with succession in the chief magistrate continued, even in what seemed to be a clear transition from father to son and from prophet to prophet. Of all the transitions, this one seems like it should have been simple. Apparently, like so many of the others, it was viewed as an opportunity to fragment and fight. The civil strife escalated into conflict as engagements and battles were fought between the people of Nephi and the people of the church. I want to emphasize this point. The civil war was between and among members of the church and also between and among Nephites who were not members of the church. Mormon words it this way in Helaman 4.1, And it came to pass in the fifty and fourth year there were many dissensions in the church, and there was also a contention among the people, insomuch that there was much bloodshed. Close quote. makes a distinction here, a dissension among church members and then a contention among the people. Dissensions were about departures from the faith and often involved disagreements on doctrine and or practice. I imagine in this context that these disagreements extended to violence, but that is inference on my part as Mormon is ambiguous on the topic. The rebellious Nephites were killed or driven out of the land, fleeing to the Lamanites, as we are told in verse 2. As usual with dissenters, they struggled to convince the Lamanites to take up arms and go to battle against the Nephites. The Lamanites would not hearken to the war propaganda. This series of events should remind listeners of our discussion on the initial failed efforts of Amalickiah to convince the Lamanites to go to war with the Nephites, as we discussed in episode 24, or part 5.5 of our podcast series. Once again, it was fear that caused the Lamanites to refuse. One can imagine that many of the warriors who were so fearful of going to battle against the Nephites were some of the same warriors who followed Coriantumr into the middle of the Nephite territory to then be defeated by Lehi II and Moronihah, and who watched Coriantumr killed in battle before entering a covenant not to come to battle against the Nephites again. We discussed these battles in the previous episode. Just as with Amalickiah, the initial Nephite dissenters had some assistance with another group of dissenters who came up to the Lamanite lands in the 56th year of the reign of the judges, as we are told in Helaman 4.4. We are not given any details about what drove the dissension in the 56th year of the reign of the judges. I suppose that Mormon thought it was enough to know that the Gadianton robbers were influential in the land and that they could have been the sufficient cause for this dual dissension, as I further surmise that both dissensions were connected in some way. This second group of dissenters added their voices to those of the group from two years earlier to finally convince the Lamanites to go to war with the Nephites on what was to be the last war between Nephites and Lamanites before the coming of Jesus Christ. Mormon gives an interesting detail in Helaman 4.4 when he says, quote, they were all that year preparing for war, close quote. This wasn't the same emphasis on preparation as was true for Amalickiah that we discussed back in episode 24, when Amalickiah spent five to six years in preparations. 
but the Lamanites spent an entire year. For a writer that places emphasis on preparation, this is an important detail coming from Mormon. The Dual Dissension War. I quote from Helaman chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. And in the fifty and seventh year they did come down against the Nephites to battle, and they did commence the work of death. Yea, insomuch that in the fifty and eighth year of the reign of the judges they succeeded in obtaining possession of the land of Zarahemla. Yea, and also all the lands, even unto the land which was near the land bountiful. And the Nephites and the armies of Moronihah were driven even into the land of bountiful. And there they did fortify against the Lamanites, from the west sea even unto the east, it being a day's journey for a Nephite, on the line which they had fortified and stationed their armies to defend their north country. And thus those dissenters of the Nephites, with the help of a numerous army of the Lamanites, had obtained all the possession of the Nephites, which was in the land southward. And all this was done in the fifty and eighth and ninth years of the reign of the judges. Close quote. This brief account of only 171 words is the only information Mormon provides on a war that involved the loss of at least 25 named cities or lands and probably covered hundreds and maybe thousands of linear miles worth of marching, attacking, retreating, and fortifying. This was the greatest military defeat inflicted on the Nephites in their history to that point. It was arguably the single greatest defeat of Nephite arms in a single campaign in their entire history. Not even in the days of Mormon did the Nephites lose so much so fast. Again, this was a loss of something like at least 25 cities or lands in less than two years of engagements, battles, and campaigns. The limited information gives readers little to understand in terms of how this great defeat occurred. For the sake of clarification, the following suppositions are offered. It is assumed, on my part, that the Nephite armies had atrophied as a result of the consistent internal conflicts and civil war. The previous loss of Zarahemla to the Lamanite commander Tubaloth in the 41st year of the reign of the judges, or 51 BC, demonstrated the lack of security in the center of Nephite lands. But in that story, there was still strength on the perimeter. As we discussed the fighting in the 57th and 58th years of the reign of the judges, or 35 to 34 BC, the Nephite armies lost cities and they could not respond to the losses. Why? I suggest that one reason for this may have been that the Lamanites were able to attack the Nephites at multiple locations nearly simultaneously, at least in enough simultaneity to prevent Moronihah from massing against one force, destroying it, and then moving to the next. Moronihah was a commander who understood how to react to defeat and still come out victorious, as we discussed last episode. This is a crucial lesson for commanders to learn in any era, and Moronihah had demonstrated his mastery of it. It is unlikely that he lost Zarahemla and then could not react. It is more likely that he was pressed on multiple points such that he could not mass his forces anywhere and he could not regain the initiative without a consolidation at a distant point, that being bountiful. 
The dual dissension war, as I name it, was possibly a case of the Lamanite army seizing some key positions that then forced the Nephites to withdraw from many cities as they sought for defensible terrain. Moronihah did not find suitable defensible terrain until he and his forces arrived at Bountiful. At Bountiful, he organized a significant defensive work that fortified a land that could have been 30 or more miles long, 50 or so kilometers. From the beginning of the above quote in Helaman 4-5, it seems that the offensive and the retreat happened all in the 58th year of the reign of the judges, or the first year of this war. If correct, then this meant that the Lamanites seemed to have driven the Nephite armies and leadership back to Bountiful within a single year. This did not necessarily mean that they had captured every Nephite city and settlement. It is probably that in the 58th year, the Nephite army was forced to retreat, and then in subsequent years, the Lamanite army consolidated their gains and established their controls in the Nephite lands during the rest of the 58th year and through the 59th year of the reign of the judges, or from 34 to 33 BC, as it is implied in Helaman 4.8. Though never stated, the rapid progress of the missionary work to come suggests that maybe the Lamanite descendants, who were the people of Ammon, or numbered with them, may have remained in their homes and lands. They certainly owed no loyalty to a wicked Nephite populace. If so, they would have constituted a core of believers who would have aided Nephi 4's later missionary efforts. More on this topic later and in the next episode. The Nephite Counter-Offensives Moronihah led his armies in a withdrawal or retreat to the city and land of Bountiful and to the narrow neck of land. There, they fortified and defended their positions, but Moronihah did not remain behind his fortifications. He prepared his armies for the attack he planned to make. He waited for the spiritually important step of the people being humbled and repenting. Once they repented, he began to again lead them to battle, as we are told in Helaman 4, 15-16. Moronihah launched the first counteroffensive in the 60th year of the reign of the judges, or 32 BC. He was successful in regaining some of the lost cities. I read from Helaman 4, verses 9 and 10, quote, And it came to pass, in the 60th year of the reign of the judges, Moronihah did succeed with his armies in obtaining many parts of the land, Yea, they regained many cities which had fallen into the hands of the Lamanites. And it came to pass, in the sixty and first year of the reign of the judges, they succeeded in regaining even the half of all their possessions. Close quote. These successful efforts may have been against those cities most closely situated with Bountiful. Moronihah continued with his second counteroffensive in the 61st year of the reign of the judges, where he again enjoyed success, and he was able to capture, or rather recapture, half of those cities that had been lost, or what I estimate to be roughly 12 cities or lands. In the 62nd year of the reign of the judges, or approximately 30 BC, Moronihah's third counteroffensive failed to regain any additional Nephite lands, as I quote from Helaman 4, verses 18 to 20. And it came to pass, in the sixty and second year of the reign of the judges, 
that Moronihah could obtain no more possessions over the Lamanites. Therefore they did abandon their design to obtain the remainder of their lands. For so numerous were the Lamanites that it became impossible for the Nephites to obtain more power over them. Therefore Moronihah did employ all his armies in maintaining those parts which he had taken. And it came to pass, because of the greatness of the number of the Lamanites, the Nephites were in great fear, lest they should be overpowered and trodden down and slain and destroyed. As a result of the failures and fears described in this quote, Moronihah changed the task and purpose of his forces from offensive action into a defensive posture where they focused on maintaining the lands they currently possessed. In about two years of military campaigns, Moronihah had only been able to regain half of the lost cities. This fact is important to the real point Mormon is trying to make, about which we will discuss in depth in the next episode. Some numbers. It is very difficult in this war to pin down numbers. It is unclear whether all of the cities that were lost by the Nephites involved a battle. Many of them could have been abandoned because Lamanite speed was so great that they made Nephite garrisons or strongholds untenable. Based on my personal thoughts and imaginings, the Lamanite army consisted of at least two elements, and maybe as many as three or four. This leads me to imagine a Lamanite army of about 40,000 total that was divided into multiple columns of anywhere from 10,000 to 20,000. The Nephite armies were at least 24,000 as there were garrisons in many of the border towns and fortifications designed to protect against Lamanite attack. It is clear that this war, including the Lamanite offensive campaign, there were many battles, therefore casualties are very difficult to assess. Losses in the combined Lamanite offensive and Nephite counteroffensives may have been 10,000 to 15,000 for each side. The losses could have been much higher as many of these battles were fought in and around cities and fortified positions. Battles fought in towns and cities are typically the most costly in terms of casualties. As I previously stated, the casualty figures are difficult because many cities may have been abandoned when more strategic positions were captured. This was possibly true for both sides. Regardless of the challenges presented by the lack of details, it is clear from the record that this was a traumatic period of chaos, loss, and destruction for all involved. The Nephites became a homeless culture for several years. Lessons Learned Military History As I have previously done, I discussed these lessons in terms of identification, isolation, suppression, maneuver, and destruction. Identification Moronihah was again caught by surprise. The spy network of generations past had clearly ceased to exist. It seems that Moronihah was always fighting in the dark about his opponent's intentions. One might offer that such problems are a direct result of Gadiant robber influence and success, and that this implied problem is one of Mormon's key lessons for us. Isolation. The Nephites were isolated and the supposed speed and audacity of the Lamanites meant that maneuver options were taken away from the Nephites. Suppression. No maneuver options forced Moronihah to withdraw to Bountiful. This was complete suppression at the operational level. 
maneuver. The Lamanites completely dominated the key terrain and the decisive points throughout their campaign of conquest. Destruction The shock of Lamanite success and audacity forced a concession of all Nephite lands south of Bountiful. This was the realization of Lamanite strategy for more than half a century. Lessons learned, spiritual. I want to place emphasis on four points. One, righteous leaders are not a guarantee of blessings or protection. It is important to remember that during this complete failure of Nephite arms and the collapse of the Nephite political system, that the Nephite chief judge and governor was a prophet of God, Nephi 4, and the Nephite chief captain was a prophet and righteous commander. These losses came despite the Nephites having the single greatest combination of spiritual leaders in secular positions. No other Nephite commander or chief judge enjoyed such a quality companion in service except maybe Laconius and Gidgadoni, who will be discussed in detail in a later episode. The point of this is to say that the righteousness of leaders is no protection for individuals or societies who abandon the path of the Lord. 2. Righteous unity is the best defense. Moronihah realized the need to unify and fortify. He sought for the best place to bring his people together and have the strength of unity. Unity can help those who are losing in the battle to regain their spiritual composure and help them to once again be willing to re-enter the battlefield. 3. When fleeing the enemy, find defensible terrain and fortify there. This is a crucial lesson. Moronihah had his people gathered at a place where they could fortify and enjoy the protection of a well-constructed fortification. Each of us has such a place in the temple and hopefully in our homes. These should be ready-made fortifications that when pressed by the adversary, we can flee and be protected from the assaults of the world. 4. Build strength. Repent and counterattack. Satan cannot be the only side on the offense. We must venture out and take the fight to Satan. After we repent, clean ourselves, put on renewed and strengthened armor, and pick up newly crafted or reforged weapons, we need to go forth and engage with the adversary and drive him back. He will not win, but he will not be defeated by soldiers of Christ cowering behind bulwarks. Mormon's metaphor. How do these battles support it? Preparation. The Lamanites prepared for their attack for a year. One could also see in the dual dissensions a reinforcement of preparation from another wave of participants. We can be strengthened in our preparation by fresh ideas, new friends, and a different perspective. It seems that we also see the problems and failures that come from a lack of preparation. It is difficult in a time of dissension to prepare, as those who dissent tend to focus our attention on them and their concerns. Covenants There are three issues related to covenants from this story. One is the seeming loss of focus on covenants, as the Nephites seemed to have forgotten their oaths to support the title of liberty. The second covenant may be implied, if I am right in my supposition, of a divided attack by the Lamanite armies. Those Lamanite commanders must have made some sort of covenant with each other. 
The third emphasis on covenants comes in the call to repentance issued by both Moronihah and Nephi 4, as we are told in Helaman 4, verses 14 through 16. Unity. Mormon tells his readers in Helaman 4, verse 12, that a lack of unity was the cause of the Nephite weakness that left them vulnerable to the attacks of the Lamanites. The lesson expressed in Helaman 4, 11 to 13 is a powerful reminder that God does not promise us safety and protection in our righteousness, but he does say that wickedness and internal contention make us weak and divided and open to attacks from the adversary. We will always be attacked. When we are united, it is easier to be successful in defending against those attacks. Conclusion In few words, Mormon painted the greatest military catastrophe to occur to the Nephites in a single campaign. They were completely defeated, and they had been driven out of the crown jewel of Nephite civilization, the city of Zarahemla. Despite this complete failure, Moronihah did not simply acquiesce. Mormon gives great lessons for his readers to glean. The need for unity for personal as well as collective righteousness, the importance of security, and the need for re-entering the fight are just a few. Much of what was described and how it was recorded was done to contrast the challenges of the secular solution versus the power of the spiritual. This is and will be a theme that Mormon repeats. The failures of the Nephites and the reasons for their dire predicament are best stated through Mormon's words in Helaman chapter 4 verses 11 to 13. I quote in part, Now this great loss of the Nephites and the great slaughter which was among them would not have happened had it not been for their wickedness and their abomination which was among them. Yea, and it was among those also who professed to belong to the church of God because of the pride their exceeding riches, their oppression to the poor, withholding their food from the hungry, their clothing from the naked, smiting their humble brethren upon the cheek, making a mock of that which was sacred, denying the spirit of prophecy and of revelation, murdering, plundering, lying, stealing, committing adultery, rising up in great contentions, and deserting away into the land of Nephi among the Lamanites. Because of this, their great wickedness, and their boastings in their own strength, they were left in their own strength, therefore they did not prosper. Quote. The next episode discusses the response to this military collapse and the inability to regain the lost cities and lands through force of arms. We will see that the power of the word of God is significantly greater than the power of the sword. I invite you to reach out and ask questions and send comments to me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>